Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of In The Zone. This is episode 97. I'm Giancarlo Alino, hosting today. And of course, you know the co-hosts, Chris Martelli, Anthony Piniello. Guys, there's some big news yesterday. Big game. We saw the Clippers, who are up 3-1 in the series, go down 3-2. Then after they saw Denver come back, 3-3. Game 7, they're up. They have a nice little lead, but uh, Jokic and our good Canadian kid, Jamal Murray, come up big and uh, pretty much beat them convincingly, dominate the fourth quarter. And Denver's moving on to the conference final take on the Lakers. So uh, how bad is this for the Clippers? Oh, my God. I, I'm my my neck feels a little tighter today, uh, but in, in Sosha Kawhi's and Paul George because they choked, they flat out choked. Uh, this just shows that anything can happen at any given time in the postseason. I mean, analysts have been saying, I'd say since October, maybe even September of last year, that they're the best team in the league. They're the best team. They're going to the finals. They're the best team in the league. And Denver just said, yeah. Well, guess what? We're an up-and-coming team. We've been a top-five seed for three years now, and they're real. They're the real deal, man, and this team is not to be played with. And I've been saying this for a while now that Nikola Jokic, ever since losing that weight in March, I knew that he'd have another level to his game. But for me, you know, Jamal Murray, I never thought this guy would be scoring – 35 as as comfortably as he has i mean he's found his confidence he he looks like a he looks like a top 10 point guard right now in the league and i remember when we did our list he wasn't even considered so we're gonna definitely have to look at our lists again maybe in a couple months and he might have to be on that list but man like last night i just want to quickly get into some stats here Kawhi Kawhi leonard shot six of 22 from the field that is just not good enough. 27%. That's an off night. Uh, Paul George, we all know how bad he's been this postseason. He shot 25% in game seven. And then you have Jamal Murray just dropped 40 points and Nikola Jokic dropped a triple-double. So the best players on Denver showed up. The best players on the Clippers did not show up. And that was the story of the game. And that's why the result was the way it was. Clippers flat out choke, plain and simple. That's all I really got to say about it. Yeah, you really got to you gotta give the Nuggets credit here. Like, they're usually there every year. They're a top seed, and they, they'll run into one of the powerhouse teams, and they usually go out. So uh, the story will usually, it'll be about the Clippers because Kawhi and Paul George, and they have all that talent, and it didn't work out. But serious props to Denver. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic unbelievable i like the series should have been over it was 3-1 lebron lebron was waiting for him he was waiting for Kawhi, and they goofed it so the denver nuggets conference finals congratulations yeah it's a good thing that i guess the clippers are the second team in la so i guess it won't be uh big drastic changes coming from the fan base like it was or would be if the lakers were to be the ones to drop this kind of lead but if you're Kawhi Leonard, what the hell do you do? Like, you come to this team, you leave the Raptors, who, if you were staying on the team, you could have literally walked to the final, clinched everything, swept everyone. And now you go to the Clippers, you rely on Paul George with his uh, amazing experience in the postseason. Just a long resume there of accomplishments and uh, positive play, great performances, and this happens. So uh, what moves do you do if you're Doc Rivers? I think at first you need to look at, you know, what the reason was why Paul George struggled so much. Was it was it an injury? Was it chemistry? Was it team morale? Because we all know Paul George is a he's a shoot first type player. And we saw last year he actually was the number one option over Russell Westbrook. Westbrook kind of took a back seat last year. Paul George was third in MVP voting last year. And then this year, I don't know what happened. I know we all know the bubble is a different dynamic. We saw what happened with Siakam in the postseason. We'll get to that a little later on. But I, I, in terms of changes, I mean, I'm not firing Doc Rivers. A lot of people are putting the blame on on him. I'm not firing him. I think he's he's one of the most experienced coaches, one of the best coaches in the league when it comes down to it all. You know, when it comes to technical plays, you know, changing 
changing rhythms, changing, you know, assignments. I think Doc Rivers is one of the best. I think you just need to look at, you know, the free agent pieces and the trade deadline pieces that they they had gotten last year. Marcus Morris from the Knicks did not show up in game seven. So I think maybe that's where you part ways with a guy like him. Uh, in terms of their center, I think they need to upgrade. I know Zubak and Harrell. Harrell, he's more of that rim protecting defender. Uh, and he's, you know, he's an aggressive center who he, he just won the six man of the year, but I'm pretty sure he's going to want a max deal or close to it. I don't think he's deserving of a max deal, but he, he's going to get paid regardless, kind of like what Freddie V is probably going to get paid. But in terms of the position that the Clippers need is the center. They need a center that can score. They need a center that could space out the floor, drain those shots from everywhere, from the mid-range, the three-point shot. I think the Clippers need to kind of look at their their bench as well, and they need to maybe identify where that weakness is. I know it's it's really hard to always put a blame on a player, but I think there's some guys there like Shamit. He just forces threes too often. There's a couple other guys. Um, I really don't know what to expect with Lou Williams uh, down the road. I know I think he's 33, 34 years of age. Uh, how much more does he have left in the tank? Uh, so I think it's up. It's really up to the GM. It's up to whether they want to restructure this team around Paul George and Kawhi, uh, and uh, just see what what they what they need. What team needs they actually need? Uh, people are saying they need a point guard. You know, Beverly even might not even cut it. So there's a lot of questions, I think, with the one and the five spot in L.A. And I think they need to uh, they need to figure something out this offseason. The window for them is real short for them, too. It's they got two more years of Kawhi and Paul George. And then after that, it's kind of it's kind of a toss up. Um, you said Lou Will's in his 30s, Pat Bev's in his 30s. Uh, I think they do need a young athletic centerman as well. A guy that can just pretty much do it all. Everyone knows about Zubac and what he brings to the table, but. It's heartbreaking for now for the Clippers, not making the conference finals yet again, but you just got to focus on next year. You got Kawhi and Paul George. You're good to go. Just keep tweaking throughout the way. Yeah. Also, Montrezl Harrell's a nice piece. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with him, but like Lou Williams, is a, we all know six man, Mr. Six man of the year award coming off the bench. You can drain some shots, but yeah, like I agree. If you're looking at Patrick Beverly, you need to upgrade that position. You need to go around there. Uh, it's tough, though, because the Clippers, this was their year, I think, to win it, especially when you bring in Kawhi and Paul George like that. Like You have to win and go to the finals. And we've seen this before with this team. They're always like one step behind it, seems. They had Chris Paul, uh, Jordan, and uh, Blake Griffin there, that big three. They never really had success when they were like favored to win at all for those two years that they had that window. And... Now we're seeing the same looks like with uh, Kawhi and Paul George. So it's going to be tough for them, but they better hope that they uh, make Kawhi happy because he'll probably dip and uh, won't look good. I got a, I got a couple questions, though, regarding like this, this deficit, like this defeat. Does this kind of remind you of the LeBron James type performance? I know it's different when you think of – because that, that that performance was in the finals against the Mavs. He didn't show up. Do you th- Can you kind of see that, that performance kind of uh, be similar to this Kawhi performance in Game 7 against the Nuggets? Oh, yeah. With Kawhi, though, like, he at least showed in this postseason that uh, he showed up every night mostly. Like, this one bad game, I think we'll fan, have fans looking over a little bit. Paul George, I think, is going to get more of the criticism because this has been an ongoing thing with him. Like, he's being paid a lot of money. They brought him in. They traded a lot to get him. Shai Gildress-Alexander, all those first-round picks, they swapped out. Kawhi was just a free agent they brought in for nothing. So they're probably looking at Paul George more. Like, they expect him to drop, like, 30, be an impact player, and he wasn't that. So if I'm the management over there, I'm a little pissed off because of what you gave up with – another Canadian in Gilgis Alexander, and it resulted in you getting eliminated by another Canadian in Jamal Murray. So uh, I guess Canada can be crossed off their list of uh, destinations going forward. That, uh, oh, fuck, when LeBron, you remember the buzz when LeBron went there, though, and it, like, him, Bosch, and Wade, and it was basically like, all right, the league's over. This is unfair. So I see the similarities when 
when the Mavs beat them and then everyone was like, oh my God, what the hell's going on with this team? I found like similar <laughs> buzz when Kawhi and PG went there and everyone was just talking about, you know, the finals MVP and Kawhi Leonard. And then they got Paul George and you know the Lakers are there, but for the Clippers, like it was all Clippers all year. And for them to lose in the second round. Yeah. I was just thinking of it now. I definitely see some similarities there. Uh, also in terms of blowing the series, is it more similar to OKC with Golden State or is it more similar to, to Golden State with Cleveland? Oh, yeah, probably OKC because uh, they were up 3-1 and that was their biggest chance. Westbrook and Durant, Abaka, uh, or no, Abaka was gone. Uh, Westbrook, Durant, like that was their moment. And then after we saw what happened, we saw Durant leave. So, uh, yeah, that was probably the one that got away. I think that's a good comparable with that one. I will go with that for the exact same reasons. <laughs> I think it's safe to say though now that like Jamal Murray is a bona fide star. I like the way that I've seen him, like a lot of we see it in hockey all the time. Like there's always that one guy that like you know he's good, but like you don't you didn't expect like another gear when the lights were shining the brightest. That for me, like that was Jake Gunsel when when uh when Pittsburgh won the cup three years ago. Like I was like, okay, this guy, like I knew he was good. I didn't think he would lead the playoffs in scoring and, and lead them to a cup. That's kind of me right now with Jamal, with Jamal Murray in Denver. Like I know like right now that there's no there's no uh label saying the Nuggets are gonna win it all. They're not gonna win the Larry B trophy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Jamal Murray, what he has shown in this postseason, he went from averaging like 17 to 19 points per game to now like 28, 29, and shooting like 44 from three and only generating like two turnovers a game. Like this is a run that we will remember for a long time in Jamal Murray. And to me, at least I'm going to ask the question, I think he's a bona fide star. Do you guys believe that this is – a Jamal Murray for real, or do you think this is kind of more just a bubble type thing? Based off the numbers, I think it might be a bubble type thing, but uh, um, that doesn't go against you. I definitely believe in Jamal Murray. I think he's definitely a, a starting guard in this league. The guy's dynamic. Um, people need to remember too, like the kid's only 22, 23 years old. He's been to the playoffs every year since coming into the league. He has solid playoff experience against really good teams. And we could be seeing the breakout. I don't know if he'll hit 40 every game, but um, the guy's an amazing player. He works off Jokic really well. So, yeah, Jamal Murray, he's on his way to becoming a star for sure. Yeah, just look at the 2016 draft. Uh, You want to know everybody who was taken ahead of Jamal Murray? It was uh, Ben Simmons, number one, Brendan Ingram, number two, Jalen Brown, number three, Dragon Bender, number four, Chris Dunn, number five, (laughs) Buddy healed number six. So Jamal Murray, if uh, all those teams played their cards right, could have been on uh, part of the rebuilds over there and leading them. He's in the playoffs right now. Uh, Phoenix, I don't see them, even though they had a nice little bubble run. They're not in the playoffs. Minnesota, they're not anywhere in the playoffs. Buddy healed and uh, New Orleans even bounced around. And Jalen Brown is right now with Boston, but he's not the focal point that Jamal Murray is. So, I think he's uh, looking at his draft class right now and he's heard all the buzz around Jalen Brown and everyone's praising him and all this stuff. And I think he's a little tired of hearing about it. He wants his respect. Uh, he's like Pinello mentioned in the playoffs all the time, leading his team. So I think this is Jamal Murray's coming out now, uh, proving to the league of how good he is. And uh, for many years to come, we're just going to hear about that, how Jamal Murray's star-making performance came against a former finals MVP. Yeah, as well. Like, I want to, like, Nikola Jokic as well was a guy maybe two years ago. Everyone's saying, okay, is this the guy for Denver? Is this, is this the bon, is this the bona fide game changing center that will come into this, come into this league and dominate? And I remember I saw, I was looking at the stats that he used to put out. I think it was like 17, I think it was like 17, nine and four, like the first year, like he started kind of generating the offense in Denver. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Like this guy kind of has Yusuf Nurkic type potential. I didn't really think that Jokic would 
ever reach superstardom in this league. And then, bam, I think it was last year, two years ago, he averaged, I think, like just under 20, like 10 and 7. Like he was starting to drop triple doubles. And like this is a guy where, again, at the beginning of the year, I think I ranked him third out of all the centers in the league. Now he's number one for sure, for me at least. I mean, Joel Embiid, you could say what you want about him. When the lights are shining brightest, he crumbles. At least he has so far in his career. Um, there wasn't much he could do this year with Ben Simmons going down with an injury, but he's he's got to be a little bit more, uh, what's the word? He's got to be a little more reliable. Uh, we, we've seen that he... He he does the load management kind of like Kawhi. Yes, he's seven foot tall. He's like three hundred pounds almost. But you gotta you gotta try and play as many games as you can, and that's what being a good teammate's all about. You have to drive. You have to you have to sometimes play through stuff that you don't necessarily want to play through. And Nikola Jokic has literally done everything to help his team. He goes into COVID. He goes into quarantine, and he absolutely trains like a monster. He sheds about twenty pounds of a fat and he's just looking amazing. And this guy, uh, kudos to Nikola Jokic, especially game seven. He was the best player on the floor, a triple double. I mean, like Jokic and Doncic are the future, at least when you look at European talent. And that's literally the, the, the pedestal right there. You look at Jokic and Doncic and that's what you want to pave your game around. So if I'm a Denny of Abija, the guy that's getting drafted this year, you look at those two guys, you, you could, you could, try and start by molding your game off those two and you're in a pretty good, you're going to be in a pretty good direction. But um, just my, my quick question with you guys, with Nikola Jokic, how much better do you guys see this guy getting? Oh, a lot better. I think he's just getting his feet wet still. The numbers are always going to be there based off the type of talent he is. But uh, you just look at the way this, this um this Nuggets team is growing with, you know, him and Murray are still in their early 20s. Michael Porter Jr. is coming up. So there's a lot around him to uh, to feed success off of. But like, I like that you brought up Doncic because I was going to bring that up. He like the way he makes you play his game. He's never in a rush. He always plays off other people like he's, he's just always there's a calm sense about him. You always want the ball in his hands. So for Jokic. I'd like, oh my, he might be flirting with a triple-double for the next decade, honestly. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, he's another guy, too. Like, he's in his early 20s, and he was part of that draft class, and then with Wiggins and Embiid. So he was a guy who fell late, too. I think they were saying he was a late second-round pick on the broadcast yesterday. So that's crazy to think about when you think of the kind of talent he is. So... Like triple doubles, like if you can get that in Denver, and then you have Jamal Murray shooting, like this team's going to be good for a long time if they surround them with playmakers and more guys off the bench that can help them. But Denver is uh, proving people a lot of people wrong right now. I think the scariest stat for me as well is they're six and zero in elimination games, and they're the they're they're the youngest team in the NBA. So this is a team not only they're successful right now, but they have a really bright future, and I could even maybe see if they keep uh, progressing Murray and Jokic, they could probably be a top five duo as soon as next year, and they could maybe even finish first in in the Western Conference if, if, if everything clicks. I think I'm with you for the first in the West just because they're still very young and they still feel like they have a lot to prove that they're going to fuck off with the low management. They're going to try to win every single game all the time. While LeBron and AD and Kawhi are just going to be like, yeah, we'll play maybe 50 to 60 a year. So if the Nuggets took first in the West, I would not be surprised. Well, uh, yeah, speaking of first in the West, they got their uh, meeting with them now, Western Conference Finals. We saw Miami take care of business in game one against Boston. So now what do you think about this matchup with Denver and the Lakers? Wow. Um I'm going to go. I'm still going with the Lakers. I still think LeBron James, what I've seen the last like four games, especially when they were down 1 0 against Houston, I thought that, you know, they, they literally woke up, especially their bench players like Rondo. He came back in the bubble and he was an immediate impact, one of the greatest ball, ball handlers, the um, point guard passers that I've seen in this generation. So 
He knows how to feed the rock. And he was also draining threes. That's huge for them. Danny Green, uh, you know, you could say what you want about him, you know, not performing his best, but he brings that winning mentality. It doesn't matter. He In the dressing room, he's a winning guy. He, he has been since, I'd say, 2009, since coming in the league. So Danny Green, even though he hasn't necessarily performed up to par, I feel like the the energy that he that he brings and and that that veteran type presence in winning, I think that really sparks some stuff in KCP and and Caruso. So I've I really I've really liked the bench uh, play from the Lakers in the Houston series. They flat out outscored the Rockets bench by far. Uh, I think the biggest question mark for this series is can Jokic outplay Anthony Davis? For me, Anthony Davis has been an MVP type player all season. He was, for me, I'd say a third and maybe MVP, maybe fourth and MVP voting. And I, I had him as defensive player of the year. So if Jokic can outplay AD, then that just solidifies how great Jokic is and how hard this series is going to be predict. I'm just going to say Lakers in seven. And the only reason why I say seven is just because this team has that willingness never to give up Denver. They've come back two times, three, one in this, in this playoffs. And you can't, I mean, can you really say anything but seven here? Like Jokic and Murray, they're going, um, LeBron James and, and Davis are also going. So I think this is right now a clash of the Titans. Both, both of these duos have been going on all cylinders and I'm very excited to see what happens, but I'm going to give the edge to the Lakers because I think Rondo has been balling out of his mind recently. Give me the Lakers in six. I think uh, it's the matchup we didn't know we wanted to see. Jokic versus AD. I really don't know how everyone just assumes because Davis is such an athletic monster and he's been out of this world that he might get the better of Jokic. But like he's one of those guys when you match up against them, the whole fucking game changes. So I am so excited to see Davis and Jokic match up against each other. Um, Rondo is, this is serious for Rondo. Like he probably replaced Kuzma as the third guy there. I don't know what the hell it is about him. He's like, there's always questions in the regular season. Like, oh, he's fallen off. He's, he's, kind of, he's a nice veteran presence. He won't do much. And then the playoff hits. And then it's like, oh, wow, fucking 9 Boston over here. So I think they, they need a little more from their bench players, LA, but with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo, I think they'll get it done in six games. I want to see something different. I'm just going to go and say Denver. <laughs> just <laughs> give them something different. I'd love to see Jamal Murray go to the final with Jokic. That'd be something fresh. We finally, after this whole decade, wouldn't have to hear anything about LeBron or Golden State or fucking Dream Team this and Big Three that. Just give me something different. I'll go Denver, Miami final. Uh, I don't know how it would be for the rating standpoint from the NBA, but whatever. That's life. <laughs> so give me Denver in the final in six. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So uh, on to uh, let's talk about the Celtics and Raptors before the Heat series, I guess, because uh, their longest reigning uh, championship reign, I guess, is over. Uh, they're going home. And uh, Boston, we saw drop game one. But uh, overall in that series, what do you take away from the Raptors' performance and uh, what do they do now? Well, um, there's a lot to take away. Uh, I've, been really, I've been really excited to talk about this with you guys, not, not, in, like a, not in a positive way, in, in, a, in a negative way. But th- this was the game where I watched everything flat out crumble in game seven. And I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about from the teammates talking to one another, to the shot selection, to flat out just making stupid plays. And they, they cost like 18 turnovers in a game seven just shows that you did not want it and you did not deserve it. They didn't deserve it in game seven. Um, it, it was kind of astonishing when, when OG hit that buzzer beater uh, in game three. I thought even then that was lucky and uh, we could have gone down 3-0 easily, maybe even swept if that shot did not go in. But, you know, we kept going. Game four, game five, we, we were rolling. And then, of course, game six or no, game five, we got absolutely destroyed. Game six, we won. And then game seven, 
you know, it was a it was a tough defeat, 92 to 87, low scoring. We did what we did on the defensive end, but I expected us to to do that because we were one of the better defensive teams all year. We all know what the biggest story was, and that was Siakam. He did not show up at all uh, the whole series. I think he averaged about 14, and last year as a third fiddle, he averaged about 17. So um, I don't know if it's the pressure of him being the Batman to this Raptor team, you know, being the leader. We all know that sometimes these young guys, they feel the pressure a little more when they're the number one option. Maybe that happened with Siakam. But I, I just want to talk about the turnovers, like careless turnovers. I don't know if it's because they were tired. The, 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 the mismatches at times, like you had Grant Williams on Kyle Lowry. You'd have Marcus Smart on a guy like OG at times. There were a lot of mismatches where they could have outstrengthed the guy that was guarding them and they flat out just turned the ball over. They made stupid decisions. And, and I like, don't get me wrong. I love Freddie Van Fleet. I think, you know, I think he should resign with the Raptors. But at the end of the game, man, like, none of, no, one, no one was moving for him. And this guy flat out tries shooting over Grant Williams, a guy that's like six inches taller than him, airballs it. That's the game. And let's talk about the Grant Williams foul. Kyle Lowry gets linked up with him. To me, that's not a foul. He's jumping up. Again, he had to fall at some point. He's jumping. He's in the air. His arm links. The ball doesn't lie. He misses both free throws. And what happens? We can't even get a rebound because Abaka's not on the floor. Gasol is not on the floor. So small ball, it may be paid off in the third and second quarter. But in the fourth quarter, Nick Nurse did not play the right players when he needed to. And the turnovers cost them this game and the series. From a Toronto standpoint, I think the main takeaway here is that Pascal is human. Everyone, like, do you see what's going on? Like, the way all Toronto fans are treating Siakam? The kid, it's really, it's been his first year as a starter. He's basically thrown into the fire against the Boston Celtics. And he did have a shit series. He was mediocre against Brooklyn. But, um... I think people need to remember that the guy's only 26 years old. He started playing basketball at 15. Like the Raptors are, are still in good hands. So I just don't want everyone to turn their back on who is our franchise player and Pascal Siakam. But um, it just seemed like that kind of series. Like in game six, apparently the, the calls were all going to Toronto's favor, which was the best game that I've seen this year, by the way. And then game seven happened. And then Kyle Lowry foul, fouling out was basically the icing on the cake. So it was a great series. It was very sloppy at times, but um, yeah, that game seven was so disappointing. <laughs> like another thing too that I want to add was like Jason Tatum was the best player on the court in game seven. He 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 came in, and we all knew the pressure was on Tatum and Siakam. Those I think were the two guys that had the most pressure, and Tatum dropped twenty nine, twelve, and seven, and of course he got the game winning free throws for them. But I want to quickly talk. I know. Like, we don't like Brad Marchand when we talk about the Bruins. We clearly don't like Marcus Smart when we talk about the Celtics. But let me tell you this. This guy was definitely the X factor and the game changer in this whole series. That block on Powell was an absolutely outstanding defensive play. And it's funny because in game six in overtime, we saw a play very similar to that, except Powell made the bucket and won. And we ended up winning that one in overtime. So... I mean, this game could have gone either way uh, down the stretch. It was very close just based off of the Raptors' uh, excellent defending down the stretch. But Marcus Smart, man, that guy, he was amazing in this series. He almost had a triple-double, I think, in Game 7. Him and Tatum were the guys that really, really, uh, really gave it to the Raptors in Game 7. And I think Marcus Smart and Tatum were the reason why the Celtics got the win. Yeah. So the Raptors are, uh, they're clearly deeper, but Boston's big guns were basically the X factor there. Yeah. Like another thing too, like we talked, like I talked about, they played small ball because, uh, you know, Daniel Thice, I guess, was not looked at as a big threat, but man, Serge Ibaka, 20 minutes, he had 14 points, eight rebounds. I don't know why you're only playing him 20 minutes. You have to play him a little more than that. And uh, I think I think that's another reason why they lost it because OG in game six or game five, he had like 14 rebounds. So I think Nick Nurse opened that option and thinking, OK, maybe we could have OG at the five with dice. So I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but 
Serge Ibaka, time and time again, we saw in this playoff, he was clutch for the Raps. And down the stretch, when the Raps needed him most, they just didn't play him. So I, I, that's another, I think that's another big deal for, for why the Raptors lost as well. If you're, if you're going to have Serge and Gasol not on the floor, honestly, I got to see Matt Thomas out there. Because there are times throughout the series, no one can make a fucking three. And you have the little six foot three white guy on the bench saying, hey, I'm over here. And they put him in at times and he would spark the game up because he is fucking Mr. 99%. So to me, like you have one of the better catch and shoot guys out there. If you can run screens off him, if you're not going to have Serge and Gasol out there, why not throw Matt Thomas out there? Seriously, just for a spark. Yeah, what about thing- Terrence Davis? That was another yeah. guy. Like, where the fuck was Davis? <laughs> oh, my gosh. This guy This guy just was all second rookie team this year. Yeah. And, and didn't even play Davis at all. Like, I know you're, you're, you're restricted on minutes in the playoffs, but, you know, if you're going to play Ibaka 20 minutes, like, why are you playing Siakam 45 minutes and you know he's struggling? Why are you playing Powell 37 minutes off the bench? Like, try and... Try and even the minutes out. Maybe play Matt Thomas about 10, 12 minutes. Maybe play Terrence Davis, you know, seven to eight minutes. Just get that spark that they need. Even Chris Boucher, I thought maybe you could have played a little more. Like those three specifically, Matt Thomas, Terrence Davis, and Chris Boucher, I thought they should have played a little more in that series for sure. Speaking of, uh, I guess, a Raptors run now, uh, they got a lot of money coming off the books here. Like a Baca's contract, that's $20 million. Gasol, $24, 25000000 million. Fred Van Vliet, $9 million. Uh, so what do you do from here? Like, Do you even reach out to Gasol? Like, I think Gasol right now, now that he won, probably going to go comfortable fit if it's not Memphis, Toronto, maybe L.A. But like, do you try to bring him back? And a Baca, what do you do with him? I'm just – I'm assuming Gasol's gone. I'm already like – I'm I'm missing him now. I'm just assuming that he's going to walk away <laughs> for Serge. Like Serge, Serge is in his prime. I th- I think it just keeps getting better year after year, especially offensively. The guy's 31 years old. The Raps are still in a solid position. Like I would like to. I, I want to see Serge back here. I think I'm not maxing out Freddie Van Fleet as much as everyone loves him, but like that's probably your biggest priority in the off season. So. If they can get Fred resigned, possibly bring back Serge, and then farewell to Espana. I agree. I think that's the most predictable thing that's probably going to happen. Like, look, listen, Marcus Saul, I love him. I think he's he was amazing, you know, when it came down to guarding Joel Embiid and guarding Giannis. Uh, you know, like last year he was amazing. This year we saw, you know, the injuries, uh, father time maybe taking a little toll on Marcus Saul. He's not worth 24 mil uh, by any means. And then look at last night. Look at Paul Millsap. He barely scored for Denver, and he's getting 30 mil this year. So, um, you know, sometimes players opt in in their contracts, and it, it, it happens. You know, Gordon Hayward's another guy. He's not that max contract type player, but he was before the injury, no doubt about it. He was balling in Utah. But I want to quickly talk about Serge. Like this guy's been with the team now for three and a half seasons. No one really talks about that. He came over in the Terrence Ross deal and he's quietly been a Raptor for three and a half seasons. So I think you have to take that into account now that, uh, that Serge Ibaka has been with the Raptors from 28 to relatively now 31 years of age. Um, this guy, I'm, I'm giving this guy maybe not a long-term deal, maybe a two year deal maybe a little bit more than we might hope to give him, maybe around 17 mil per year. I would give Serge just based off of what he's been able to do in limited minutes. I think his three-point shooting, holy crap, has skyrocketed the last like year and a half. And we've needed that because Gasol, we saw how bad he was shooting from three. Uh, Fred Van Fleet is another guy that I really have no idea uh, what to expect. I hear teams are willing to offer him about $26 million a year. I think that's absolutely, I think that's absolutely ridiculous, but we all know that there are some franchises out there. <clears throat> the Knicks, they're struggling to find like find anything, any success in their franchise. So I think Fred Van Fleet g- getting 26 mil with the Knicks. I don't fuck with that. 
I don't think anybody would would agree with that. If, if I'm the Raps, I'm I'm willing to offer maybe 20 mil at most. I don't think I'm going to go over that. I I mean, like it's a good story with Fred, right? Like undrafted comes in, does his job in the postseason after his kid's born. He just shoots like 70 percent from three against Golden State. Absolutely, absolutely torches them. But I think this year his confidence kind of got the better of him. I think he was shooting a little bit too much, especially in the fourth quarter of games. We saw, I remember, I think it was game one or game two against Boston. I think he shot like three of 19 from the field. So when you're shooting 19 shots and you're making three, that you, you know the confidence is down. So why do you keep shooting it at that point? Just try and be as helpful as you can as a, as a, you know, as a backcourt guard. Try and pass the ball as much as you can in those situations. So I think in terms of that, I think Fred Van Fleet, he does have some flaws. Uh, his shot selection sometimes is – it's not the greatest. Like, we, we we know guys that shoot a lot and their shot selection at times is terrible. Like, there's guys like Bradley Beal, guys like Damian times. Like, their shot selection is terrible, but guess what? They average 30 points per game because they can do it. Whereas guys like Fred Van Fleet – They've had that ability to do it, but they he can't do it on a consistent level. And that's why I'm not giving him the max contract. For a guy like Fred, though, regardless of what he gets, that's the kind of guy when he gets his contract, everyone will be like, he fucking deserves it. Because how do you root against a guy like Fred Van Fleet? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. But uh, you said the Knicks. I could see the Pistons taking a run at him, too. Like one of those... Not 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 even middle towards the end of the barrel teams. Orlando, you brought up before too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Pistons, the Pistons and the Knicks are uh, they're laughable. They're they're not good at all. Uh, Blake Griffin's probably gone. Derek Rose, I really hope he's gone because I want to see him now start to go for a chip. He he really needs that. Um, at the end of the day, I'll you know in pegs. I think it really comes down to who these teams draft come September 18th, and it's it's coming. It's it's in two days the draft, which is really exciting. Um, I I see the Knicks drafting a point guard. That's why I really don't know what to expect with Fred Van Fleet. I I still think in the long run Freddie V is going to stay with the Raps. Just that's just. Like we we made him a star. He he came up the rankings with our organization. I think he wants to be loyal. He knows that Kyle Lowry's thirty four, so I think he knows that he can take the starting job no problem. We know he's a starting guard. At least everybody knows now. I think most NBA fans know that Fred Van Fleet is relatively a good starter in this league, and it, I think it doesn't really matter what team he can go uh, he can go to. I think he could be a starter, but I don't know if he's worth the max money that a lot of people have been saying he is. But again, like Pinello said, you can't really root against him because his story has been tremendous since since the get-go. For uh, Let's just say for a second he does walk. Where do the Raptors go from here? Is, is Norman Powell your shooting guard, Terrence Davis? Oh, fuck. Uh, Alino, I want you to... Alino, yeah. you could talk about that. Uh, that's a tricky one. I think... Because off the bench, you need someone who can handle a ball. I don't think Terrence Davis is that guy, but Powell, if you put him in that position, I think he could be that guy who can go point guard, shooting guard, uh, look at free agency maybe. Uh, maybe Derek Rose, if you know there's interest there, he can come in with Lowry and do something similar. Uh, but yeah, like it's going to come down to how much you're going to pay. I think all these guys who are UFAs or RFAs on their team Give them one-year deals because I'm looking past this year. I'm looking at potentially Giannis, and it would be a lot more appealing to your team if you say, yeah, we can get Giannis a max deal, but uh, if we have you guys making this amount of money for the next five years, it will be hard to fit you all under the cap. So let us go get Giannis first, and then we'll give you all your money so we can go into the luxury tax. So uh, I'm not giving anyone a max deal. I'm giving everyone one-year deal. Prove yourself in that time, and after that season – Whoever plays the best gets the most. And if they don't perform, then they can look at another team. So I think that's something management has to do. They have to challenge these guys to be better. Yeah, uh, Pinello, in terms of that question with what happens if he leaves, I think it's all up to Kyle Lowry, at least for next year. Um, we, like, 
look what happened this year when Kawhi left. Everyone was kind of saying, okay, are the Raps like a four, five, four to seven type seed? Are they still a top four seed? Like those questions were asked, and that was just based because just people in general were not really sure what this Raptors team was. What was their identity? I mean, you have a finals MVP going Kawhi Leonard. Can these guys really get it done? And, you know, they were a top three seed all year. And, uh, you know, just unfortunately they ran into a matchup nightmare in Boston. And, uh, you know, like we talked about Brown and Tatum and the big guys just came out when they had to, and they got the job done. But I think Siakam and Lowry are literally the focal point for next year. You have to look at what they can do on a consistent night, night in and night out. I mean, I think I still think the story of the year this year and even next year is Kyle Lowry's, you know, development. And Kyle Lowry is still relatively one of the best guards in the NBA and he's 34. And like Pinello, I don't know how many times we've talked about comparing players and comparing who's better than who. Did we really think that Lowry and Chris Paul would be top five point guards like coming into this season? I definitely did not, especially Chris Paul. So like these these are the type of guards that we need to kind of look at and we need to say, yeah, you know, they're getting old and the team is trying to gel and, and move forward. You know, you have Siakam 26, Van Fleet 25. But guys like Lowry at 34 still still progressing even if it's not in scoring, it's it's in assists, it's in getting those charging fouls, it's in the steal department, it's in the three-point shooting. So I think there's still another year where I'm not really sure what the Raptors can do. I think they could still maybe go to the finals without Kawhi Leonard, without a Giannis. Um, I think Siakam and Lowry, they, 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 they've won. They have the experience. So I think right now it's about re-signing the core and maybe trying to get a little bit of some free agent help. Maybe you can get a guy like an Eric Gordon if you can maybe trade. Maybe I've heard a lot of rumblings that Danilo Gallinari can maybe go to the Raptors and he can be that six man, maybe off the bench. Maybe he can play center at times if Abaka and if he signed. Like th- like these are a lo- there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Like Chris Boucher's an RFA. What do we give him? Because this guy has improved as well tremendously. So. This is a hard team to track, a hard team to monitor, uh, especially when you think of identity and and who they're going to go and, and look at. But my main priority is to re-sign Fred Van Fleet and just keep rolling with the same core you had this year for at least one more year before maybe going all out and getting Giannis. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And uh, I guess looking at uh, the Celtics-Heat matchup, like looking at the Heat, uh, they're kind of, they're basically the Raptors with a score, like a Jimmy Butler. That's something the Raptors really didn't have. Like a guy you can count on every night to drop 30, be that score, be the opposing threat. The only thing the heat lack, I think is when it gets a little tough off the bench, who do you go to, to make a difference for that spark? Like the Raptors had a deep bench. It just didn't come out for them because they're lacking that number one scorer. So do you see the heat kind of falling off as the series goes on, or do you see them uh, taking out the Celtics and going to the final? I'm going, I'm going with the Celtics still to win this. I'm still taking the Celtics. Uh, I think, I think the Celtics in seven, again, I think this is a seven game series after what we saw in game one, you know, it goes to overtime. Marcus smart was going crazy. Six threes, uh, Jason Tatum dropping 32 points. But then, Alino, you talk about no bench for Miami. I think the bench literally won them the game the other night. I mean, you talk about Kelly Olynyk. This is a guy that doesn't get appreciated enough. Jay Crowder, I don't even know if he's even a bench player anymore because that guy's been balling out in the bubble. Uh, let me let me continue. We got Tyler Hero coming in off the bench. This guy almost got a triple-double. He is one of my favorite rookies in the league, hands down. He will be a special player. Kendrick Nunn went from being a rookie of the year type player to now being second fiddle off the bench uh, to Goran Dragic. And Dragic has also been lights out. He was, an, he was an all-star two years ago for Miami, and he's just putting out that same narrative right now in the bubble. And then, of course, there is one of the greatest teammates that you could ask for in the NBA and Jimmy Butler coming up clutch in the fourth quarter time and time again. Oh, and hold up. I forgot about the center that can do any, anything in Bam Adebayo. And the sharp shooting marksman and Duncan Robinson. This team is absolutely outstanding. 
They are the definition of a collective unit. And I will say that because they do not have that super, superstar player. Jimmy Butler, no doubt about it this year. He's probably been a top 15 player. I don't see him as a superstar scorer, but maybe as a superstar teammate. He is probably one of the best teammates you could have in the league. And I think it's rubbing off on guys like Hero, Robinson, Bam Adebayo, and even Goran Dragic's leadership, I think, has been just a huge difference maker. I really love this Houston. I really love this this Miami team, but I'm still going with Tatum because the Celtics are for real. You didn't bring up our boy Kelly. It's a good Canadian kid right there. But uh, give me uh, same as you. Give me Boston in seven. This will be a fucking dogfight. Um, I love the way Miami's team is constructed. It, yeah, I get like some flashes of us. It reminds me of the Raptors. Um, I love the way Butler talks about Hero. Like just how confident he is. Like telling Butler to go guard that guy because he wants him. You just see um, just the way they play Hero and Robinson, how young and confident they are. And that's a really good sign for the Heat going forward. But um I got to take Boston. I just, their big guns, I think, will be the the X factor there and Tatum and Brown. Uh, Smart is always, it doesn't even really matter about his stats. He he reminds me a lot of Kyle Lowry. He'll do whatever he has to do to get the W. Um, I think for me, Kemba's probably the biggest X factor because he'll have a great game and then he'll go uh, six for 19 from the field. So if Kemba Walker can play like he was all year, being that uh, all star, I think that'll be the X factor, yeah. So I'll, I'll take Boston in seven. All right, I'm going uh, Heat. <laughs> Everything the opposite. I'm going to go the Heat. Uh, I like Todd Riley and what Spolstra. Spolstra's been around this game a long time. Uh, Brad Stevens hasn't been, you know, accomplished, and he hasn't been in the grind as long as Spolstra has. Spolstra knows how to evaluate what's going on, make changes. He has Pat Riley with him too, so. That's a luxury. Andre Iguodala is another guy who I forgot to even mention. So, yeah, forget what I said about the bench. Uh, cut that out. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I'm going to go heat. But uh, Celtics, so I think this is going to be a lot of uh, if they had Gordon Hayward, what could have been. Like, I think this is going to go down to the wire, but I think it's the Heat are just going to do a little bit more and do just enough to get through. Well, uh, Onto the rink. Uh, we owe uh, a little bit of apologies here for the Dallas Stars. Uh, I'll start this off here. Jamie Ben had him in fantasy a lot of times. Had Tyler Sagan a lot of times. Uh, didn't come up clutch for me. So my opinion on them kind of changed. Uh, was a negative opinion. But you know what? They're going to the Stanley Cup final. They brought the Dallas Stars there. First time since 2000. When we we're a little five-year-old kids, they're uh, going to the finals, and it's all because of the great play. Tyler Sagan, the supporting cast they have, Kadobin and Net. So uh, apologies to the stars. Good for them, but they're not winning the cup, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, go- I'm going. I'm going with no. They're not winning the Stanley Cup, but we got to give the respect where it's due. I mean. Alino, I think out of all guys, you might have to apologize to Tyler Sagan for everything you've said to him and about him. You know, especially uh, when you did your top your top twenty centers list. I think you had him a little too low, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing around. But, <laughs> yeah, more uh, than I think Ben I was watched, lost. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I watched I watched Game Seven, and uh, you know, seeing or not Game Seven. What am I saying? Game Five. Uh, I watched game five and, uh, you know, they were up to nothing Vegas and, you know, Mark Stone was doing as much as he could, even though you could tell, I think he was injured. He was battling something. Uh, Cody Eakin didn't do enough. Uh, their, their bottom six forwards was, they were struggling and they didn't, they didn't look comfortable at all. I mean, you, you know, you have Ryan Reeves, he knows what his role is with the team, but man, Dallas, Corey Perry, a great veteran. Joe Pavelski had showed, that he still has some juice left. Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben. I guess now we can kind of say they're an underrated offensive duo because before we were just saying they were one of the greatest duos in the league, and now there's been so many duos that have surpassed them. 
but they're still really effective. And Jamie Ben scoring that first goal, you know, it's a battle in front of the net. He turns around and he just rifles it past Leonard uh, with, with Stastny on him. I, I know Stastny and Ben were going at it all game. And I just love that aggressive, uh, that, that aggression that the playoffs bring. But I did not expect Vegas to blow that 2 nothing lead. And, and, you know, Klingberg and Heiskanen have been huge all playoffs. But Heiskanen to me is if they win the cup, Heiskanen and, and Gudobin are the con smite contenders for me on that team. I mean, Jamie Benn, uh, Kivaranta was huge as well. Guryanov has been huge time and time again, getting the OT winner. Um, but I got to go with, I got to give it to Gudobin, man. Ben Bishop, uh, I'd say the last two years, he's probably played the, be- the best hockey of his career. Maybe in Tampa as well. When he was there, he was amazing. But he really found his rhythm in, in Dallas. And Gudobin, you know, kudos to him, kind of like what, Murray did with Flurry. You know, he had that opportunity to to take the realm and uh he didn't hesitate. And he's been playing absolutely tremendous hockey. Uh he's been shutting the door for Dallas. And kudos to Gudobin, because this is a great story for him and and for the franchise. They needed this. I mean, they haven't made it to the finals for 20 years. They've been there for a lot for a long time. They've always been kind of floating around in the playoffs like Nashville, like San Jose. But now they're finally going to the to the final. So kudos to them. We saw St. Louis do it last year. They were also a team that was always there and they couldn't get it done. I'm still going to say Tampa Bay wins, even though they lost game five in overtime. Uh, Jordan Eberle with a great goal last night. If you guys didn't watch that, absolutely. Varlamov was insane yesterday for the Islanders. But I still got Tampa Bay, Dallas going to the finals. I'll say Tampa Bay wins that in six. I think Victor Hedman... I think he's a lock for the con Smythe right now. He has been the best defenseman in the league. This uh, You brought up St. Louis. It reminds me of that because St. Louis was a team that made the playoffs every year and everyone considered them contenders, but they'd always run into like a powerhouse team and lose in the first or second round. Dallas is also there every year. And then they signed Corey Perry and Joe Pavelski and we're like, yeah, that's solid, but they'll probably get bounced in the first or second round. And then they're going on this little run. And Ben and Sagan have been the heart and soul of that team for so long. Gurianov, me and Chris laughed so hard when they drafted him. He has been solid for them. Corey Perry's really taken. I've never thought Perry would be a... I felt like once the 30, 40 goals go away, he'd be out of the league. He's really adapted to his role. He's been solid. Klingberg and Heiss going to carry the load. And like you said, Hadobin has just been lights out. He's been on like fucking 25 teams in the last three years. He's found a home in Dallas now. I cannot believe they're in the finals. I'm very happy for Ben and Sagan. But um, if it's going to be them in Tampa Bay, because I think Tampa will win that Islander series, uh, I'm going to go Tampa in six games over Dallas. Yeah, I'm just not counting the Islanders out. They do have Jordan Eberle, and this bubble this year as a whole has been a bizarro world. So... Jordan Eberle were to power this team on, I would not be surprised. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was Jordan Eberle being the one to hold the Stanley Cup at the end of it, just to really show anything is possible in the NHL playoffs. Uh, I'm still going to go Dallas, though. I, as crazy as it sounds, I think their matchup is kind of like if Columbus were to play Tampa, except now they have the scores with Sagan and Ben and Pavelski. Uh, they're a more complete team than Columbus. They do have all that grit with Perry there on the fourth line. Uh, Pavelski and Ben can play that role. So uh, if it's Tampa in the matchup there with Dallas, ta- I'm going to go Dallas in seven just because of the matchup. So uh, if it's Dallas and the Islanders, it's going to be a whole different story because maybe the Islanders will out- it'll be like an out-coachable uh, type series. But I got Dallas 20 years after holding the Stanley Cup. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, if um, if the Islanders, let's just say the Islanders win the cup, how is that going to look on John Tavares and the Leafs? <laughs> oh, Dubas won't hear the end of it. Yeah, Dubas won't hear the end of it, and Tavares is going to have even more pressure. So you better hope like, that doesn't happen. The Literally the year after he left, everyone was talking about the Islanders and how they're such a good two-way team, and they, they they may not have a star. Barzell's on the rise, but they don't have a star right now, but they all play so well together, and uh, they went deep in the second round. And then this year, they're fucking amazing. 
And so it's it's a very leaf. It's it's a Toronto Maple Leafs fans mindset. That's that's the first thing I think of. Like if I see Islanders holding a cup, the first thing I'll think of is, oh yeah, it's because Tavares isn't there. Yeah, you know what? I think the more that we see success in New York, I think the more John Tavares' legacy there uh, will start to kind of diminish. I mean, Matt Barzell, I think he might actually go down as a better Islander than John Tavares. And that might be a hot take, but I can easily see it happening if the Islanders were to go to the finals. That's something that that's something that John Tavares couldn't even sniff. I mean, he he didn't have the teammates that I guess Barzell has, but John Tavares, man, like you have exceptional status. You go first overall. The lights are all on you. And, you know, he he didn't disappoint. He, he made Matt Molson a 30-goal scorer. Uh, Ocpozo, I'm pretty sure, was a point-of-game player too that one season. So John Tavares was absolutely world – world. Uh, he, was, he was amazing. But Matt Barzell and what he's been able to do since coming into the league, like we said last week, you know, uh, comes right in, right out the gate. He's a top top six forward playing 19 minutes in his first year. And this guy was wowing us. I remember when we did that fantasy that year, me and Pinello were asking, is Barzell going to play? Is he making the team? Are they like, what's going on with this? Are we going to give him 50 points? Are we giving him 45? And this guy went out and dropped, I think, 69 points or 70 or something like that. So ever since he came in the league, his offensive game has been elite. Kind of like the way I view Barzell with the Islanders is the way I view Ajo with the Hurricanes. Very similar in that they've come into the league and they've come into their organizations and they've been that number one option from the get-go, from going right into their first game with the franchise. So... I really do like the way that Barzell and Barry Trotz and, you know, all that they've done and what they've been able to accomplish together as a team. You know, you have Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey has been producing. He's actually been one of the better playmakers the last two years. Funny to say, but it is the truth. And you have a guy like an Anders Lee, Anders Lee who's been a great captain for the Islanders. So kudos to the Islanders. I like the question you ask. I think in the long run, if Barzell can get a really long-term, maybe in a seven-year contract extension with the Islanders, I think he will go down as the better Islander than John Tavares. It's a hot take right there. <laughs> Three years into the league. Speaking <laughs> of uh, speaking of this pressure and like all these teams, I'm going to throw this out there as uh, one of the final topics here. Washington Capitals got Lavia letting now to coach. Uh, hope he's likely gone now in free agency. If this uh, turns into be like a rebuild situation or something where the first year is expected not to go according to plan, when teams are out in the league there with all the pressure on them, could you see one of the GMs go and full out, throw everything all in? I'm going to call Washington and uh, work out a trade for pending UFA in 2021, Alex Ovechkin, to really go all in knowing full well he can go back to Washington the following year, but you think that there's a GM out there that would do that ballsy move, send in the whole fucking Brinks truck, send in all the farm players you have, draft picks, knowing well it's just for one playoff run. So uh, where's Peter Shirelli? <laughs> uh, no, probably on the Leafs payroll soon. <laughs> um, for Ovet, I can't even fucking imagine that trade just for the year. Um, where, where could you actually picture him? Edmonton. I oh can picture Nashville. <laughs> Why am I thinking Florida? That'd be another one, too. Can you go to Florida? Going, I think he's going west. What team would, uh, for the year, though, if they really feel like if they had that main piece, could win it, would it really be worth it to give up a lot of future assets because it is fucking a 50-goal score still in his mid-30s. I think in the long run, you got to look at what type of GM will do that, and you have to look at the team structure. I mean, if you really want to think about it, there's great teams out there that have the potential talent to trade with Ovechkin. You have a team like Calgary, who I think has a lot, a lot of young superstars that are kind of trying trying to make you know themselves known. I think Matt Kachuk... We all know how important he is. I don't think they would part ways with him, but maybe they would maybe sauce it up, maybe trade a Goudreau in that deal. You could throw in maybe uh, a Noah Hannafin. I know it would be already his third team, but 
you know, like there are some teams that have the defensive depth, even a team like, can you see Carolina maybe going all in for a guy like an Ovechkin? I know it's a division rival, but like they do have pieces there. And even like, imagine him going to Madison square garden and playing for the New York Rangers. Like these are all just things that pop up in my head and it would be a sight to see. I really like, these are type of players, Ovechkin, Crosby, Giroux, like these are guys that have been on their teams since day one. And I don't really see Ovi leaving Washington. I mean, I kind of don't want to see it, but again, like this is the same type of stuff that we've been saying with Corey Perry, with Patrick Marlowe, with Joe Thornton, like over the years, like these guys now are start. Okay. Except Joe Thornton. The other two guys have been flip-flopping teams for, for a couple of years now. Well, not flip-flopping, but Corey Perry going to, to Dallas was, for me, a huge surprise. I never thought he would leave Anaheim. So, Alino, that's a crazy question. I think at that point, you have to ask yourself, are you trading? Are you really trading Ovi before a guy like a Kuznetsov or a back? Like I know they just re-signed Backstrom, but are you really trading Ovi before Kuznetsov? Oh, I'm going. If I'm a GM, I'm doing it. I'm gonna go and call them, even if it's a deadline. That's where you uh, just imagine. That's like NHL twenty stuff right there. <laughs> it's embarrassing to think about just because of what Ovechkin means to Washington. But if you're thinking long term, like yeah, because Netsov's what 26, 27. He's gonna be your number one center if he's not already. Um, yeah, he's he's been amazing for them. So he's 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 kind of ready to take that next step. I don't know. If he has or if he's got another gear to him or whatnot. But um, I also thought more fantasy playing here. I thought Colorado, just because they have a lot of young pieces and McKinnon's still on that sweet deal and a lot of entry-level stuff going on over there. So if it's just for the year, maybe the Avs? Would they fuck their shit up for Ovechkin? Can you maybe see them trading like Grubauer, Timmons, and like Landis Cog for Ovi? Captain for captain. Oh, Oh my God! I don't think they honestly. I don't think they would trade Landis Cog. As dumb as that sounds, because it's for Ovechkin. That's true. I, I just I don't know. Like you have to like because with Ovi, you probably have to package at least three players because that's just how dynamic and he's a he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I really don't know what the package would be for that. But like we were talking two weeks ago, me and Alino with Mur- like if if Jim Rutherford was to package out Murray and Latang. Like, what would that look like? Like, that's like kind of, I'm in the same ballpark with like Ovi. Like, what would that look like? Cause I have no idea. And I like, we know our, like, we know our hockey. We, we generally like try and predict a good trade for them. Like, I think, Alina, what did I say? I think I said summon with Edmonton. I think I said Nuge and a couple others, like maybe an Evan Bouchard, if you really want to go all in for that goaltender, maybe it's Murray. I don't know, but like when you think of like Ovi and like Latang and these guys have been on their respected teams for 10 plus years. So I really don't know what other GMs really value in these guys. I know they want to win a cup now and be that missing piece, especially if you're Colorado with with Ovechkin. But I have no idea what the return would be. I, I want to say a young defenseman, maybe a, 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 a outstanding forward and maybe one additional piece, especially for a Hall of Famer like Ovi. And then what if they miss the playoffs with Ovi after giving up all that? How funny would that look? <laughs> I think that's why it would be a deadline move. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, like, again, like, you're talking about the Ovi thing. Look what happened this year with Kovalchuk with Montreal. Like, they, they trade for Kovalchuk, I guess, assuming they thought, like, that he would be the guy to maybe fix their offensive woes. And believe it or not, it ended up being a guy like a Denal a Nick Suzuki, a guy they just traded for for, for uh, in the Pacioretty deal. So sometimes it's not even the veterans that bring that offensive flair. It's it's these young guys that are coming up now. So it's going to be tough to see how GMs uh, value uh, evaluate uh, all these players. If I'm the Caps, though, like I'm not even thinking about it. I want Ovi to retire here. That has been the heart and soul. It's or yeah, like. If I'm Washington, I'm not even like looking at that. I don't know what they're thinking though, because they nah, are going to run the submission soon. Oh, you're a fucking. I you're always playing get mode though. <laughs> I would just do it only because he could still retire there. Like I'd only do it just for a rental type thing, just to 
put it out there. And then when he comes back, we have this nice farm system of prospects that he can play with. So I'm doing it as knowing it's a short term thing that when you come back, we're going to give you like whatever amount you want. We'll give you a max deal. But for the short term, I'm willing to trade him at the deadline and see what you can get from him. And uh, Ovi can get another cup. In the meantime, you can real tool your roster. Maybe some of the people you get with for Ovi, you can go in and trade at the draft. And then Ovi comes back with a nice, solid top six group there with Kuznetsov and some other guys. So uh, I'm going to say be creative GMs in the league, especially uh, Washington's GM. Pull out this ballsy move. Let's have some fun. It's <laughs> fucking good. <laughs> wow. Boom. All right. So- so uh, that's episode 97. If you agree with this uh, OV trade, send in your trade offers, what you think it would do. Maybe it's a Leafs trading Nylander, Marner, and everybody else, all the draft picks that get OV with Matthews. Maybe it's uh, trading John Tavares, but send in some creative offers and we'll read them next week. So uh, that's episode 97. Uh, check out our, <laughs> some of our past episodes if you want to hear some more of this. And uh, we'll be back next week.